From Romans chapter 8, I believe you'll find it on the overhead, and you can also follow along in your own Bibles. I'm going to read out loud, uh, you read uh, along. Starting in verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. This summer, my family and I, we went to a uh, house of the mountains. And one of the cool things about this house, it was a small house, it was kind of a cabin by the mountains, but one of the cool things for our family was that there was this little creek bed, not a small creek, but a pretty big creek bed that was right outside of uh, of the house. So every day we'd walk outside and rather than my wife and I trying to come up with different ways to entertain the kids, we just had this creek, right? And every day we'd be playing in the creek for hours and hours. One of the, one of the, um, one of our favorite games was we would take this, uh, this ball, one of these kind of little plastic kickball type things, rubber balls, and uh, we would go up to kind of the top of the, of the little creek, and depending upon how much rain, it was kind of like a, a river, a creek, somewhere in between. It was, it was a kind of a, a, a big thing. So we would throw this ball up at the top, and we would run as fast as we could down to the bottom of, our, uh, of, our, of the little territory that we had, the little the yard, and I would jump into the river and try to catch the ball before it kind of went on and we lost it for good. So that was a game that we played over and over again. Throw it at the top, <clears throat> run down to the bottom and, and dive in and try to catch the ball. The kids loved it and the boys were just excited about this. Um, but one day, one day it, it just poured all day long and we were kind of confined to the inside. And the next day, this game took on a whole new level of intensity. You know, whereas before it was just kind of, <clears throat> you know, this soft current and I would just kind of like walk at a brisk pace down and kind of get into the spot where I could catch the ball. This was like an all-out sprint. I would throw it and just run as fast as I could. Again, the kids loved it, um, and I guess the kid in me loved it too. And so it was just a fun thing to do. But as I was, especially on this last day, as I was walking out into the creek, um, this was kind of a tricky thing to do. Uh, you know, I'm stepping. First of all, there's, there's pebbles all along the side, and some of them are big pebbles, and they kind of get dislodged, and I kind of get thrown off balance. And um, <clears throat> sometimes the current at different places, the current is strong enough to knock me off and my feet, and, and I'm just going to, you know, be on my... On my bottom, right? Um, and, uh, and, and as I'm walking, I'm <clears throat> trying to, you know, find these rocks that kind of keep me on balance as I'm walking. And, uh, you know, some of the rocks are kind of, you know, just, you know, I, I put my hand on it and then all of a sudden it just kind of comes right off and again, I'm, I'm off my feet. I keep walking, <clears throat> but finally I found there's this one perfect spot in the river where there was this rock bed that kind of kept on going. These solid rocks that went all the way across the river <clears throat> and, um, I found that that was the perfect place because I could walk out there, kind of keep my hand on the rocks at all times, and that could finally reach out to get the ball. I was thinking about 
life for us, I think at various points, life does feel like a little river, where um, at different points, you know, we might be in a calm spot, right? There's just kind of this pool. And, and in this river, there were places where the water was, was fairly calm. And there was kind of this little pool, and there wasn't much of a current. And I could just stay there, and I, you know. But <clears throat> I had to keep walking, right? And as I was walking, I'd move away from the pool, and all of a sudden, the current would get strong. And uh, there were times when I did get knocked off my feet and, and uh, you know, through the current with the water. In life, I think there are times, and I don't know where you are today as you're coming to the, to the service, but there are times when we feel like that, where the river of life or the current does come and knock us off our feet. Different needs, different struggles, different frustrations, disappointments. <clears throat> we feel like we've lost our footing. Now, we've had Christmas time, which for some, again, is a great uh, time. Uh, for some of us, Christmas time is kind of like that little pool, right, where there's peace. And you get some time off work. And it's, and it's, it's nice, it's enjoyable, you get to be with family, uh, a lot of good memories, a lot of good times at Christmas. <clears throat> some of us, Christmas time itself is a current um, because of uh, tragedy, lost relationships, a uh, variety of, of, of problems in life. We feel it more intensely at Christmas time. For those of us who've loved Christmas, Christmas is over, right? And then the rest of the world, uh, you know, the rest of life is, is facing us. We've got to go back to work a normal schedule, um, the, the regular problems of life, which you may have gotten a reprieve from at Christmas time, now we're facing them again. Whatever the case, uh, life is like this river. And the question is, what do we do about that? Well, how do we manage this life that's like a river? Today what we're going to do is look at Romans 8. And <clears throat> Rome, the whole chapter of Romans 8, in fact, the whole, the whole section, if you were to look at your Bibles, between Romans 5 and Romans 8, it's this one extended treatment of the blessings that we have in God. The blessings that we have in God. Romans 8 is full of them. All right, bless, and if you were just kind of like look through Romans chapter 8 and mark all of the different blessings that Paul talks about, you're going to find things like, you know, in the Spirit we have life and peace. In the Spirit we have, thank you, Tim. Oh, thank you, Blair, via Tim. So in the Spirit, we have life and peace. In the Spirit, we have no condemnation. We have our peace with God. In the Spirit, we have life. In the Spirit, we have an assurance of pardon. In the Spirit, we are children of God. In the Spirit, we have this inheritance, this future hope of things to come. In the Spirit, we have these infinite blessings that come to us. That's Romans 8. All right? In fact, Romans 8.28 which is the, the verse we looked at last time we were in Romans 8, says this. God works all things together for good for those who love him. God works all things for good for those who love him. What an amazing promise to us. Those of us in life, when we face troubles, we face trials, we face things that are difficult, we have this amazing promise that God works together all things. It's just this phenomenal treatment of what it is for you and I to be in Christ. All of the blessings. That's where Paul left us. And then we start this passage. And Paul says something. He says, what then should we say about these things? What then should we say about these things? Basically, Paul is saying, after this amazing extended treatment of all the blessings you have in Christ, he says, so what? So what? Basically, a lot of times in sermons... The, the, the preacher, it was Dean or Howard or myself, we'll get to this point and we'll kind of have this so what moment, right? We've been talking about these gospel truths and then we try to encourage us all, our, you know, us and you, to consider what are the applications here? 
So we get to the so what moment. We've said these truths, what does it matter? This whole passage is a so what moment that we're looking at today. Paul says after these amazing things that he says about, about the Christian life, he says, what then shall we say about these things? So what? Here's our theme today. God is for us. God is for us. That's a summary of all the things that Paul has said in Romans 5 through 8. God is for us. And if that is true, Paul says, then you need to know three things. First of all, if God is for us, then we have a protector. If God is for us, we have someone to protect us. Secondly, if God is for us, then we have a provider, someone to provide for us. And finally, if God is for us, then we have someone to pardon us. We have a pardoner, a judge who pardons. Uh, children who are in, in the service today, three, three uh, pictures you can draw. <clears throat> First point, right? God is our protector. Maybe draw a sword. A sword, an image of a warrior who protects. Second point, God is our provider. Maybe draw a loaf of bread. Right, il- illustrating the way God provides our basic needs in life. And finally, for those of you who uh, our children who like to draw to stay attentive. Uh, God is our partner. Maybe draw a judge's gavel, a judge's hammer. All right, those are our three points. <clears throat> God is for us. First of all, He's for us as a protector. Read verse thirty-one. It says this: If God is for us, who can be against us? The message here is that God fights on our side. In ancient Israel, the nation of Israel would would all the time find themselves at the situation where they were facing this mighty enemy. They were fighting, they were facing this foe that was coming to destroy them. Over and over and over again throughout the history of Israel, they found themselves in this situation. There would really be two questions that they would ask at that point. One question would lead them to despair. One question would lead them to courage. The first question would be this. Who is our enemy? How, how, how large are they? How powerful are they? How advanced is their technology? Do they have more chariots and horses than we do? Who are they? In all cases, that would lead them to despair. The second question would lead them to courage. Is God for us? Is God fighting on our side? And over and over again, God would reach out. He would call out to the the nation of Israel and he would say, I am with you. Look to me. Don't look at your enemy. Look at me. Because the message that Israel had to learn over and over again is if God is on your side, it doesn't matter who your enemy is. If God is on your side, it doesn't matter who your enemy is. And today that's the message of Romans chapter 8. Paul is saying, look to God who is your protector. He is for you. Consider this. Consider God who hung the stars, God who created the universe, God who sustains our life, God who puts the breath in us and keeps us breathing, God who pumps our heart every beat, the God who who raises up nations and crashes them down, the God who created the universe, who created the solar system, all of the galaxies. This God is saying, I am for you. Logically, then, who can be against us? What does this mean for us? Now, you and I don't find ourselves in the the place of Israel facing these great uh, foes on the battlefield. What we do find ourselves is facing uh, 
enemies, facing situations that, that assault us day in, day out. And there's a scale, you know, scale of one to ten here, right? Some of those, those, those frustrations, some of the foes, some of the enemies we face, probably a one or a two, not a big deal. Some of us face ten, even, even higher, these, these, these enemies, these frustrations, these, these things that assault us. We live in a fallen world, there are real enemies out there. There are those who, who abuse, and there are the victims, there are those who take advantage of others and those who are taken advantage of. We live in a world where there is evil out there. Paul is saying here that if God is for us, even the abusers, even the victims, in some sense, they can't win. The Bible is very realistic about evil. It's very realistic about sin, about suffering. It doesn't offer a pie in the sky and a, a view of life. So Paul is not saying that if God is for you, you will face no oppression. You will face no persecution. In fact, a few, a few verses later, Paul explains all of the different things that do battle against us. Paul is realistic, but he is saying this. While you and I have enemies, while you and I have frustrations, if we are clinging to Christ, those enemies can't win. Because I don't, know, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know who your enemies are today. The people who anger you, who frustrate you, the small ways, the big ways. Coworkers, family members, right? You got a dose of family at Christmas. Maybe coming away from, from, from Christmas time, family feels like it's packed with enemies. I don't know. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your neighbors. Others. Those people who seem to assault you, who assail you, who create fear in you, who create insecurities in you. God says, in some way, they cannot win if you are in me. Because God is for us, who can be against us? Maybe it's situations in life, frustrations, disappointments. You look around and you think, this is not the way it was supposed to be. This is not where I was supposed to be in life right now. Maybe it's ourselves. A lot of times the, the evil is outside of us, assaulting us. But sometimes the evil is in ourselves. We ourselves have regrets. We ourselves have sin. The times where God says do this and we decide to do this instead. The times when God says, here's your command and we break that. The regrets, the failures, the mistakes that we make, a lot of times we feel like we are our own worst enemy. God says, no matter who your enemy is, no matter what is assaulting you from the outside or from inside, because God is for us, our enemy can't win. Remember this, uh, the river analogy. A lot of times we do find ourselves by our enemies, by the situations that assault us, we found ourselves off of our feet, just struggling to get up. What the gospel does, and what Paul is doing here, is he's reminding us that we have a rock. We have the gospel promise that God is for us. God is with us. God is there to protect us. And the Bible is full of imagery as God is our shield. God is our soldier. God is our, as our fortress. God is the one we run to. The problems in life most of the time is that we find ourselves, when assaulted, we run to other things. We find comfort, we find refuge in anything else but God. God saying, I was custom made to give you comfort. I was custom made to, to provide you the refuge that you need. Come to me. I am your defender. I am your protector. So the challenge for us is as we walk out into the river of life, when we're, when we're 
finding ourselves knocked off our feet. We have the gospel there, that God is for us. God is there as our rock to protect us. So cling to the rock. If you find yourself at this little pool where it's, where it's nice and calm and you're, just, you're, you're trying to protect yourself and find yourself uh, with, with, to find some stability, let me encourage you, maybe God is calling you to walk in faith, to walk out, uh, out of your comfort zone. Maybe engaging some neighbors, engaging some friends that you haven't yet with the gospel. Building relationships with those who don't know Christ. It's easy to kind of stay in our little area of comfort. But God is calling us through, through his word to walk out in faith with the promise and the assurance that the rock of the gospel will sustain us. God is our protector. But not only that, he's also a provider. Verse 32 says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also graciously give us all good things? Now, the, the logic in this passage is this. God has done the more difficult thing already. Will he not do the easier thing to care for us? God has already done the most difficult thing he could possibly do in sending his son. Will he not also provide for us in the small ways in life? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Imagine this. Imagine you have someone who comes along and out of love for you, out of concern for you, out of care for you, gives you a $2 million donation. And with that comes the promise that I will always be with you. If you need anything, I will provide for you. And you got $2 million in the bank to prove what he says. This person comes along and makes this donation. Let's say two years down the, down the road, you find yourself in need of $20. Now, your pride might keep you back from calling on the donor, calling on your friend to give you the $20 when you are in need. But you know, based upon what he has already done, that he is good for it. He has the money to give you. His love for you is assured. You can call on him for the smaller gift because the bigger gift has already been given. That's the point that Paul is making here. In the gospel, God has done the more difficult thing already in giving us his son. Will he not also give us the small things that we need in life? And the answer is yes. You know, at Christmas time, we're giving gifts. And sometimes that, there's this... There's this um, connotation with gift giving. This is kind of this pleasant gift. I'll, you know, hand a a beautifully wrapped package with a smile. It's received and there's this kind of this love in the air. The imagery here is different. When it says, when Paul says this, he who did not spare his own son but gave himself up for us all, the imagery is one of, of, of fear and violence. God, it says God did not spare his son, but gave himself. The word for gave him up for us is to deliver, to betray. God the Father, in love for us, delivered his son to be crucified and tortured for us. You see, there's this ultimate truth of the gospel that asks the question, who delivered God, who delivered Christ to be crucified? Was it Judas when he betrayed him? Was it Pilate when he offered him, when he, he handed uh, him over to the Jews? Ultimately, it was God who delivered his own son 
to be tortured, to be crucified, to be abandoned on the cross for us. This is what God did for us because his love is so great. Through the pain, the agony of Christ, he gave us the perfect gift, the gift that we most needed. You feel lonely. You're frustrated at your your lack of, of, uh, of, of career growth. You're frustrated with where your family is. You're frustrated with your relationships. You're disappointed in life. You're angry. You have needs. God in this passage has promised us that he has already given us our most important need, our most fundamental need, even at the cost of his own precious son. Will he not also supply your basic needs? Sometimes we get tripped up by thinking we need one thing when it's really something else. Money, for example. How many of us are, are, are seeking money or how many in this world find themselves in this obsession over money? Finding the right career to bring in the right money. Finding the, the, the status in life that, that gives you the things you need. But it's not, not money that you're really looking for. It's the happiness, it's the peace that you assume will come with it. Think about this. Which would you rather be? It's just kind of a, a thought experience. Which, would you rather be rich and miserable or poor and happy? Now, I'm not suggesting that that's how it goes. There's many rich people who are wonderfully happy and wonderfully content in the Lord. And that there are poor people who are miserable too. But the point is this. It's not money that you need. It's that peace and contentment that, you lo- that you're longing for. You just assume that money will bring it. That's how we work. If you're, you're lonely and you, and you want a spouse... It's, it's not just the spouse you're looking for, but it's the companionship, it's the fellowship that you're hoping, the contentment and the peace that you're hoping that spouse will bring you. What God is promising to do, and think about Philippians chapter 4, where Paul says, this is Paul who was flogged, who was beaten, who was people over and over again tried to kill him, throwing stones at him, shipwrecked, lost, abandoned, in jail. This Paul, who experienced all this external suffering, said this, he says, I have found contentment. In every circumstance. Externally, Paul's world was a nightmare. Internally, he found peace and contentment through Christ. Spiritual blessings do come through Christ. But it doesn't look like we think it should look a lot of times. The gospel is not that we become wealthy and happy as Christians. The gospel is not that you have the perfect family and nothing ever goes wrong. The gospel is that God is committing himself to you so that no matter what else happens in life, you are assured that you have this rock to support you, this rock to keep you going, giving you the possibility of this inner contentment, this inner peace, despite the turmoil that exists out there. That's one of the promises of the gospel. And this is how God is our provider. God is for us, so he's our protector. He's also our provider. And so our challenge is to cling to him. Seek him out. If we truly believe, if, we, if we're willing to say that every good gift comes from the Lord, we need to seek him desperately. 
We were not created to be independent of the Lord. We were created to need him. We were created to be dependent upon him. We were created to be dependent upon the peace and contentment that he gives us. Seek him, not once in a while. Seek him daily with desperation, convinced that he's the only one who will give you what your heart is truly longing for. Finally, God is with us as our pardoner. Verse 33 and the beginning of 34 says this, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? There's this courtroom imagery here. There's this courtroom language. There is the accuser, there is the justifier, and there is the condemner. And the logic is this. In a courtroom, you have an accusation made. The judge or the jury weighs that accusation, weighs the merits of that based upon the evidence, and he comes up with a verdict. And the verdict will either be guilty, not guilty. A guilty verdict is condemnation. A not guilty verdict is justification. So the the passage here says this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who Who is to condemn? We are God's elect. Imagine the futility of coming up to a person who the judge has already declared innocent. The judge has already said, this is my guy. This is my elect. This is my chosen person, and I have, claimed, I have, I have declared him innocent. Imagine the futility of coming up to the judge, trying to convince the judge that he's really guilty. Paul is saying that God, through Christ, has declared us innocent. He has justified us, said that in Christ we are not guilty. So every accusation falls flat. What does this mean? You and I have a need for justification. We have a need for pardon. Because you and I are guilty before the Lord. There is this reality of our guilt, the reality of our sin. We have done things that God has told us not to do. We have not done things that God has told us to do. We have shame hidden away in our hearts. We, we know we are guilty. We have regrets. We have mistakes. We have failures in life. And many times they haunt us. Many times it's the failures, it's the sin that we have in our own heart. That's what's knocking us off our feet as we're walking in the river. That's what's disorienting us. That's what's causing us such great pain. We have a need for someone to come along and say, you are forgiven, you are pardoned. You are justified. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us in Christ. So our challenge, again, as we're walking out in the river, facing the struggles of life, facing the turmoil of life, is to cling to the rock that is Christ. Cling to him for our justification, for our pardon. I think sometimes the gospel is hard to hear because we aren't listening for God's voice as often as we should. I know, based upon my life, that I have this, this, this voice in my head condemning me at times. I'm aware of all the mistakes that I've made. Even in the span of a week, I see the way that I haven't loved my family the way I should have, the way I haven't used my time the way I should have, the way that I haven't devoted my mind to the Lord as I should have. I have this, this condemning voice in my head. If I am not combating the condemning voice with the message of the gospel over and over and over again, the condemning voice wins. 
We need to desperately be listening for God's voice in the gospel. We need to desperately be going to the word personally, privately, bringing the word, bringing God's voice to bear so that God's, the gospel of grace is what we're hearing, not the condemnation that is a lie. We need to come and engage with one another as we are doing today in worship to hear the gospel where God says, you are not guilty because of Christ. We need that to keep us sane, to, to give us the message of justification. God is for us. He's our protector. He's our provider. and He's our partner. But that begs the question, why? Why is this the case? And that leads us to to verse 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Why is this true? Why are you and I protected by the Lord? Why are we provided for? Why are we pardoned? And the answer is Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who died. More than that, he was raised. More than that, he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And it's because of that that we receive these blessings. You notice how what Christ received on the cross was the opposite of what we receive, according to this passage. We receive protection. Protection from the wrath of God, protection from enemies. On the cross, Jesus received the opposite of that. Not only did God not protect Christ on the cross, he poured out his wrath on Christ on the cross so that we could receive protection. On the cross, not only did God not provide for him his most basic needs of life and connection with the Father, he didn't just forget to do that. He actively withheld that provision from Christ on the cross so that we could be provided for. On the cross, not only did God kind of step back from the judge, say, I'm I'm not going to have any part in this. Not only did he withhold the innocent verdict, he gave the guilty verdict to Christ on the cross so that we would receive the innocent verdict. He condemned Christ on the cross so that we could be justified. Christ is our rock. And it's because of Christ that we experience these blessings. And it's only through Christ that we, re- we receive these most ultimate blessings in life. You and I are looking for salvation. We're looking for something day to day that will fulfill us, that will bring us the help that we need, that will bring us the rescue we need. Christ is with us every step of the way as our rock. We need to cling to him. Cling to him for protection. Cling to him for provision. Believing that God is committed to providing our most ultimate needs. And Christ is the proof of that. Clinging to Christ for pardon, for the words of peace, the words of justification. And when we live in that protection, when we live in that provision, when we live in that pardon, all of a sudden we're enabled to live this new life that God calls us to, where we truly are different. We truly are walking in the ways that God's calling us to, imperfectly yet walking. We need the gospel, these gospel truths of God being for us, enabling us to live this new life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for 
the truths of the gospel. Thank you for your grace given to us in Christ. Lord, we recognize that we are, um, many of us, facing the, the, the trials, the struggles, the difficulties of life. There's others who are uh, very comfortable in the, in the little peaceful pools, and we're not wanting to step out in faith. Father, in both cases, whether we are filled with frustration or whether we are filled with complacency today, I pray that your gospel would come in through your Holy Spirit and give us the courage to get back up when we've been knocked down, to cling to, to Christ. Give us the courage to take a step of faith into the current, trusting that you are there to provide for us, to protect us. Father, I thank you for your message today. I pray that you would uh, apply it to our hearts so that as we're going out this week into a new life, you would give us the, the courage to follow you. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen.